Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Only a few more hours until the blue-white game. It is Thursday. We are talking about what you want to hear. The BWI Mailbag Show is here. Also, post-practice update with senior editor Nate Bauer. Nate, how you doing today? How are you doing after practice yesterday? Always a long I'm night doing, for us. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing well. It concerns me when you say a few more hours and it's like 48 because I need <laughs> all of those 48. Uh, to, to, to make the most of the blue-white game and the blue-white weekend that is coming. Yep. And we are going to get to some of your questions about blue-white weekend, some things around the game, some things that aren't around the game, all of that coming up on the Mailbag Show. As always, subscribe here to Blue-White Illustrated on YouTube so you don't miss anything like the highlights we dropped last night. Uh, Nate, you made a guest appearance on the highlights, actually, from our show yesterday. <laughs> Uh, wow. So there's always, we're always doing some new stuff. We're always trying to find new angles to show you something from practice. And of course, here on YouTube, bluewhiteillustrated.com, sign up for just $1, get 12 months of access. So one of the things that happened yesterday was things were a little delayed. And uh, when that happens, I get back here to my studio a little bit later, which means mm -hmm. I get to everything a little bit later, which means that I did not get to go to the post-practice interview session yesterday because I was completing said highlights and recap oh. of... Uh, so what I'm saying is I'm very jealous of you <laughs> and that you were able to still go. So tell me, what stood out to you yesterday being at practice where I was not? Yeah, just just for the record, that was late too. So yeah. um, it all, it all, it's just a, it's just a shift. The, the block of time in the middle stays the same. It's just a matter of bumping things back. We're, we're going um, with it was earlier than expected because okay. that's the way, that's the, right. that's the way that I can justify that the fact that I didn't make it there, uh, which I'm very upset Look, about. It's uh, not that it's, I'm slow. It's, it's 12 minutes of conversation. I wouldn't uh, spend too much time worrying about it. No, I, th I thought, uh, I thought James Franklin addressed a lot of the major topics, right? Uh, he, he was asked a great question by Ben Jones about, about really if he knows more about this team now than he did at the start of spring practice, right? And I wrote about it, like the, the big topics of conversation on March 21 when Penn State started its spring practices were, you know, Tyler Elsden and Kobe King at middle linebacker you know, transitioning to Manny Diaz and the defense I, I, for, I know that we've talked about it and I know that it's been a, a subject that, you know, has carried weight certainly among Penn state fans, but I, it, I almost feel like it's more at the forefront of James Franklin's mind than even that. 
right? Like <laughs> this is a significant undertaking and, right. and Penn State's been so good defensively and it's been so consistent yep. that it's just almost kind of like a matter of fact or a matter of course that Penn State will just continue to be good at defense, even though they're you know, making this major change from Brent Pry to Manny Diaz. Yeah. And, so and losing I, talent at the same time, losing key starters. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. It's like it's it but it but it's almost treated as though it's just a given that they'll continue to be good. And I think yeah. I'm, you know, certainly as guilty of it as anybody else in, in terms yeah. of phrasing it that way. So yeah. so can I interject there? It is interesting yeah, how how that has changed over time of and and this kind of goes to James Franklin in these situations downplaying or at least touting the similarity between Brent Pry and and Manny Diaz. And then when the nuts and bolts of this is now a new defensive coordinator who is coming in and installing an entirely new defense, we are not keeping anything from before. This is all Manny Diaz doing what he does. Then we get into the discussion of guys are playing a little slower. We're changing how these things are working. And so we start with the idea of seamless transition. And then we get into the reality of the transition, which is not seamless. Yeah. No, I've, and, and the, the personnel that's, doing it are are working through their own transitions anyway yeah right like curtis jacobs is yep. is switching positions so he's he's a good player good returning experienced veteran player that penn state has on defense take brown same same deal right um joey porter jr all of these guys who normally you would look at as Okay, these are these are kind of the stable veteran voices in the room. Yeah, but they still are for sure. There's there's no question at what their standing is within the program and within the defense. But th they're they're going through the same shift really in mentality and approach yeah. as the younger guys. So yep. it's it's just it's a it's a big process and it's a big undertaking that I I think. James Franklin came out of the spring or is coming out of the spring feeling pretty good about, um, you know, kind of where they stand going into the summer. Yeah, it's it's hard. And this is kind of what James Franklin said the last couple of weeks is to paraphrase. It's hard to be a leader when you're learning and making mistakes, too. It Usually yep. being a leader means that you are first and foremost with your play exemplary. And if you aren't comfortable and teaching other guys the thing you're learning, it becomes more difficult. Although it is kind of an interesting thing where teaching somebody can help you learn it better. Because if you can explain something, it means you really know it. So that's kind of the the dichotomy there, which it sounds like has improved over uh, the last four or five weeks. Uh, the yeah, I, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that example that I brought up last week or the week before, and, and this may be a little bit of projecting, but... To, to your point, the the leaders can't go through the stripping the ball drill and yeah. do it correctly the way that Manny Diaz wants it to be done because they've never done it before for Manny Diaz. Yeah. And so rather than setting that tone and being able to establish from the very first rep, hey guys, this is how it's done because I know what Manny Diaz wants. Those guys are in the same boat. John Sutherland is in the same boat as, yep. you know, Kobe King. So yeah. that I think that that plays an impact, um, you know, in how they approach things. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very fair point. Uh, when we get to one of the other things I thought was interesting is James Franklin mentioned 
specifics about some injuries because it seems like we're on the other side of them. So yep. we learned a little more about the issues on the offensive line who has been there and a couple people maybe who weren't. So what was your takeaway on that conversation and letting that sort of deflating that balloon a little bit? Uh, yeah, so the fact that he he pointed out three players as having taken and been available throughout the spring, right? And so they were Juice Grugs, Caden Wallace, and Olu Fashanu, which on on its face says, oh, okay, like these guys made big improvements. They were able to develop and interesting. Go it's like somebody asked a question about that last week. Uh, somebody on this show? Somebody maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. Continue yeah. with your um, your point. Well, no, there's a there's a there's a counterbalance to that point, right? Which is if those are the three that he's pointing out as having been through all of spring practice without a hiccup, guess what? That means <laughs> that there's another eight yep. who did not have that experience. Yeah. And so there's there's a downside of and, and we know this. This has been well uh, covered at this point. But Penn State's thin on the offensive line as it is this spring. That they're looking forward, obviously, to some freshmen coming in and a, a big transfer in Hunter Norzad. Yeah. Um, but but you you still want development to happen for the Landon Tangwall. Yep. You still want development to happen for uh, a, a Sal Wormley, right? Yep. And so their their situations are different. But Tangwall was the one who was asked about specifically last night, and Franklin was very clear that Tangwall has missed practices this yeah. spring due to injury uh some bumps and bruises i think he called it you know so that's that's that this is key development time yeah that wasn't able to happen for him for the duration of the spring yeah so another side effect of this shorthandedness at the offensive line that i've observed during practice is they don't have a full defensive simulation where they're going through technical drills. So you've got, uh, you know, offensive lineman playing linebacker and defensive tackle to simulate the guys you're going to go block. Mm -hmm. You got some tackles or you got some guards doing their reps on air because there isn't a, a lineman available for them to push against. So yep. I think that's a very interesting part about saying like they're thin on the offensive line. It's affecting certain things like, you know, how you do the technical part when you're just working inside your own group if you don't have 10 players to, to cycle through. Uh, yep. Also, and I think this is a very important point and a critical one for the Nittany Lions next fall, is that, it, and James Franklin says, those guys took a big step forward because they were getting a lot of reps. If yep. there were guys that had to get those reps and had to improve or had to, you know, fill critical roles, it would be your two starting tackles and your center who's moving from guard. So no, no. they could not have had it go better in a bad situation of Fashanu going into his first year starting, Wallace who needed to improve, and Scruggs who's always had talent but needs this new position and needs to really settle himself in as the leader of the interior. That's really critical because... They have depth at guard. That's that's really the story is that they've got maybe four guys that can all compete to start. And yep. that was one of the things James Franklin said is that guard position is going to be a battle in the fall. Yep. Yep. So now, which know. is which is what they want. Yeah. Right. Like that's 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 not a bad thing. And now there's a little bit of a, you know, James Franklin doesn't necessarily crown winners of 
right? Like position battles and that kind of yeah. stuff. They want to establish a culture of competition throughout the program. But he more or less said, Caden Wallace is the starting right tackle. Yep. Olu Fashano is the starting left tackle. Juice Scruggs is the starting center. That, It'd be that hard for anybody to come in and unseat them, basically. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and, and by the way, the guys that are coming into those positions, especially a tackle, need development time. So that that's not even in the realm of Good if they thing. were... If they were bringing, if they were bringing in guys that could compete, uh, maybe that's a different story. But there really isn't going to be. I don't foresee anybody on the roster being able to do that right away at that tackle position, unless they were to bring in a transfer. And then yep. who knows? But we have yet to see any movement in the portal in that area. Um, any last things before we get to our questions? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of, um, you know, some of the things that uh, I, I brought up in my notes last night. I mean, I think one thing that I didn't was Nick Tarburton as being kind of a standout this this spring in terms of in terms of what he represents. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't know that he has, you know, uh, like quick changed into a different person. Right. He's not, he's not, he's not a totally he different He didn't player. pull off the, uh, the suit and have a red S under there. He's not somebody Correct. totally different. Yeah. Correct. But he's, but he's reliable. And that like, that's such a, it's, it's so simple, but it's such a huge part of football at this level is yeah. just providing that. And I think that's, that's what it is, right? Consistency, um, reliability, knowing what to expect. Like a, a, one of the things you need in life and you don't realize how bad it is till you do not have it is like reliable transportation. You might not have the sexiest car in the world, but if it runs every single day, try going without it. Because let me tell you, I'm still sore from biking to get my oil changed. Yeah, but it was it was time well spent. Yes. Right? Like you, you did a nice job there. Oh, something else to bring up. Okay, what? He, he said... Uh, uh, the running backs, right? Like, and I thought this was an interesting phrase that he used was feeling the heat. So, yeah. um, you know, you, you got some true freshmen in Nick Singleton and Katron Allen who, not that this is totally unexpected, but like are, are pressing yep. the, the guys who are pretty obviously in front of them. So that'll, that'll, that's, uh, it feels like that's the first time that he said it in in those terms yeah. of hey like there there are reps at risk here and these guys the young guys have been so good or good enough this spring to establish that they're part of the equation that yeah it 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 jeopardizes some of those reps and some of those carries that otherwise you you might think are a given right for some of the guys who are returning yep yeah it's it's going to be fascinating to watch during the blue-white game how that all works out, how to, how we see all of that happen uh, in whatever form or fashion it happens. But yeah. it feels like you got to make a play on every play if you're going to be out there with four or five guys deep at that position. And that feeling immediately, I go back to the Wisconsin game with Kevon Lee because I think he came out with that urgency. And yep. that forced him to do some things out of structure that got him put back on the bench. So how do you manage that pressure? How do you manage that urgency and that desire to be great while still playing within the confines and the maturity of the offense? And, uh, you know, the the goal is always that it makes everybody better. Sometimes 
That pressure, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, some guys crack. And I'm not saying that that's because I think Kevon Lee settled in and was better in the second half of the season. So we'll see how that happens this year if that maturity continues to compound. Okay, let's get to today's mailbag. Of course, bluewhiteillustrated.com, sign up for just a dollar, the best way to get into the Lions Den message forum because I don't know how you hack in there. But uh, ask a question there on the BWI mailbag thread. That's the best way to get your question on the air. Or at Twitter, at Thomas Frank Carr on Twitter when I put it out Wednesday nights. Or if I fall asleep watching home makeover shows uh, when I put it up the next morning, like today. Mm. Uh, our first question comes from Tim, who's a fan of the show, friend of the show. If four or five freshmen could play up to all Big Ten freshman level, what positions would make the most impact and how good could Penn State be? A very interesting question, given how much talent is in the class of 2022 and how many are already a part of the equation in 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 this particular season. Do you want to start with the most realistic players to do that, or do you want to start with the ideal situation, Nate? Um, you know, I think both, right? But but right. I, ideal ideal is probably the place to start because that's that's what impacts that potential of on a team-wide basis right yep yep and so to, to me if i if i'm looking at the the scope of penn state football and what is integral to the program's success this season it's they need effective efficient splash plays from their defensive ends yep. and then i dennis sutton is it, like if you could choose one guy where they're already kind of, I don't know if thin is the right word, certainly with the injury to Zariah Fisher, they're thinner. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah, I mean, you could, you could not pick a more impactful yeah. freshman to, to come in and make a splash than, than Dennis Sutton. So yeah. that that's where I would start for sure. Thin unknown commodities. I think that's a fair, cause I, yeah. I called them thin at the position when I was thinking of, known commodities and somebody pushed back on the fact that how are they thin at the offensive line, the defensive line, linebacker, how are they thin everywhere? And it's, yeah. it's not necessarily the numbers as much as it is the known commodities and the guys that have the talent like deny Dennis Sutton. So I think that's a, that's an, that's a clear place to start. So we're saying we need four or five freshmen to play at an all big 10 level, right? Sure. That's, that's sure. kind of the threshold here. Um, I think so. You know, I'm going to go someplace different, go with somebody who is not on the roster, and I'm going to go with uh, K.J. Winston as my next guy, as a curveball, because the obvious ones are obvious, right? And, and you, you start with... Uh, yeah, but we got to knock those out. We got to hit the obvious ones. I know, and I'm always bad at that because I always want to be smarter than everybody else. So, okay, let's go with Nick Singleton. Let's go with it's Nick Singleton. Be. Correct. And uh, let's be direct. And let's lead, Allen. lead with the strongest. Do you think that both can be all Big Ten freshmen, though? If you had to push, push comes to shove, are you going to get mm. two all Big Ten freshmen running backs? That seems unlikely in yeah. terms of how that all works. But I think in theory, you could have two true freshmen who certainly make an impact, right? Yeah. Like, and and that could be in a variety of ways, right? Is yeah. is one of those guys number one? Is number is the other one number two? Are they one and three? Is yeah. somebody a kick returner? Like any of those possibilities, I think could come into play. But if if you can get one of the two of those guys to be yeah. 
all Big Ten freshmen like that. I mean, that's look, you're not all Big Ten freshmen unless you make an impact right at the position. Yeah. And that's a position where you can't hide it. Right. Like it's you, you will have made an actual splash in the Big Ten if you're an all an, an all Big Ten or, or excuse me, a freshman uh, all Big Ten running back. Let, let me let me paint a different picture for you. Let me paint okay. you the picture of uh, Nick Singleton breaking off a 75-yard run down to the two-yard line. He comes out for a blow, and Katron Allen dives in for a touchdown. And sure. if, if you're Katron Allen and you're a goal line back, Nate, it's not like the all... So the, the yeah, fallacy, the fallacy got here... 70 yards. Singleton right. got 70 yards in that equation. Right. Like people but, are going to see that. But people are also going to... Uh, stat sheet watch when it comes to this particular conversation. And this is the fallacy of saying that all big 10 means the best. And it could just mean that you got five touchdowns as a running back, but you were the third guy on the roster. Like, you know, just from some random occurrence that you had three in garbage time and you had two big ones at the end of the season. And, you know, I could cook up some scenario where somebody had a, a lot of stats that weren't necessarily reflective of their play. So when it comes to that particular position, I guess you mentioned splash plays from the defensive end, and I'd say that's we, we're on the same page if that's what Penn State needs from their running game, and that's what's going to get you the highlights and the attention and the, and the TV exposure, which is what it's about when it comes to these all Big Ten things. So I would say that it's, it would be very hard for Catron Allen to be that guy with his profile if he's not the lead back getting the yeoman's work. Because Singleton's going to come in into, into the game, and with his profile, he can rip off a 60-yard run. That gets everyone's yeah. attention. That gets him more chances, too. So that would be, I guess, the way I break that down, which is to diminish Catron Allen, unfortunately, which is not really, I think, fair or accurate. But it's just the I way mean, that the voting and all these things and the impact works. I think that the the problem, T. Frank, is that you set it up with a, a hypothetical that's flawed in the first place. Aren't right? they all? <laughs> Nobody's catching Nick Singleton. <laughs> right? like, he had a seventy yard carry, but somebody caught him at the two yard line. Come on, it's uh, well, ridiculous. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, didn't Point didn't, Bauer? Let's didn't go. didn't didn't Saquon Barkley? I remember being in a post game. And somebody asked Saquon why he was almost caught on a kick return. And he's like, I need to get faster from the like the 60 to the touchdown, like from mm. from yard 60 in the return. And I just thought, like, how bizarre of a conversation are we having right now? If you get 60 yards on a kick return, you've won. Like you've already won that that particular play. And yet we're. Not the, I don't I don't even think that the 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 uh, media member was trying to nitpick Saquon Barkley just ask a question, but the way they phrased it was very much why did you almost get caught superhuman man who can run faster than anyone ever, sir sir explain yourself. <laughs> uh, so that's a great question. Uh, four or five freshmen. The problem is that if we go to the quarterback position, which has the most yeah. impact. I don't yeah. know that all Big Ten freshman quarterback equals 11 wins or 10 wins. You can be an exemplary freshman quarterback and still make critical mistakes to lose your team important games. So that one's a little dicey to me if, you, if you're if you including the quarterback of well, you can be good and just 
freshman is not all Big Ten good. It's all Big Ten freshman good. But but here's the thing, okay? Because I, I wanted to go back and, and look. Do you know who the freshman of the year was in the Big Ten last season? <sighs> was it Travion Henderson? Guess. Travion Henderson it would was, be the only one I would think of. It was not. It was the quarterback for that same team, even though he was a second-year player, right? Okay, because he was a redshirt freshman. Right, okay. Gotcha. But 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 there's there's kind of your answer is if you do get that type of performance from that position, right? Like he was he was the he won a couple of awards. Right. Right. Like he won right. he won offensive player of the year. He won freshman of the year. So like if that's what you're gonna get from that position, and and you know, look, I think that we've been honest about this throughout that you know, most of the indications are one with Sean Clifford's return, but two, just where these guys are between Bo Prabula, uh, you know, and Drew Alar is that, that like, that's, that's probably what you're looking at, right? Is, right. is, uh, the, the possibility of a competition with Christian Bayou next year, next fall, right? Yep. Next summer for that starting job. And then maybe that opportunity exists. So we'll see. Uh, what's your next player or next position if we're building out four or five all Big Ten players uh, to make an impact? <laughs> the obvious one right now, the clubhouse leader is Zane Durant, which is more pressure right. up front. Um, yep. And this is gonna, where I'm going to save kind of the conversation about this particular uh, position when it comes to impact till a little bit later. I think we have a question about this a little bit later. But he's the next one. So then you got pass rush. That certainly helps. I, I'm trying to find a good fit in this class for impact, positional value, and how that could elevate the team's expectations from what we think they are. And I think we've stated that pretty clearly on the show. Uh, yeah. Is there anybody else that stands out to you? Well, like, you know, look, like if you're if you're asking about guys who come in with quite a few accolades, then I would look, right, I would say Caden Saunders. But my my counter to that is that they probably don't need him. That's exactly that right. Receiver, yeah. That's right? exactly what I was thinking is that the receiver room is very deep and talented already. He's going to have yep. to fight to get playing time. And then is he going to be so impactful that he changes the trajectory of that that room? So yeah. it, is linebacker uh, a big enough impact that you could you could put Keon Wiley or Abdul Carter in the conversation? Sure. Sure. Potentially. Potentially. I, I, I mean, I, I was just going to continue your, your thought there, but... Uh, this is a a very robust class of defensive backs, yeah. and they're entering into a program that is is pretty strong. Yep. At defensive back in terms yep. of returning defensive backs, so th there there is a situation where y you have established guys and and people that are so good that you know you feel really good about where you're at going into the season but maybe a freshman comes in and is so good so over the top yeah. anyway uh and and actually to be honest with you this was something that that Franklin brought up on Wednesday night was and this was the first time that I had heard her say it in these terms yes was yep. there are guys who will play who they're seeing this spring who can start or maybe not start but will be a factor on September 1. And yeah. then he said a second wave of players who can position themselves to, to be that factor in the second half of the season after a bye. So when when is their bye? 
next year because that's going to be an important part of the conversation of when those uh, reinforcements the next wave happens yeah i mean it's it's uh one two three four five it's five games into the year so yeah. after the northwestern game um which you know that's i think if if you're setting things up if you're drawing it up that's a good place to have it right like yeah after a home game you're still at home they've got two weeks uh before that at home to begin with and then yeah <laughs> Uh, no, no, no pressure, but at Michigan on October 15th. <laughs> right. So. And, and, and I don't want to get into projection of the record at that point, but you don't feel like at Auburn and at Purdue are unwinnable games there. They could sure. be close, but there's no team here, including Northwestern, another really tough team to beat. Um, th- there's nobody here. You're like, okay, that's, that's, that's a reasonable assumption for a loss. So yeah. The reason, and this is the reason I wanted to bring up K.J. Winston when I was talking about potential players that could come in as kind of out of left field. I don't know at this point what the situation is behind Jonathan Sutherland at that Sam linebacker position. From, is is it Jamari Budden? Is it Jonathan Sutherland or a different position? Is it going to be a sub-package sort of season? And if it's if if that is an open question, KJ Winston has the physical size and the ability and and the, the football intelligence to come in and make an impact at that position of the kind of 11th defender sub-package position. So if he could make plays in underneath coverage and be a physical safety in the run game, he's got all the tools to do that. But then it becomes, does Tyrese Mills cut in front of the line there as a Juco player, you know, other guys on the roster, Daquan Hardy. It's just kind of a jumble there, but where there is that, there's also opportunity. So if I, if that would be another area, I would put a pin in maybe one guy there. I have, I have one more spot that, that is a curveball in the same vein for you. Do you yeah. know where I'm going? Um, no, no, it's not, good. It's not, it's not good. tight end, is it? No, it's not. It's punter. Yes, that's a good point. That is a very good point and one that I typically overlook, which I've been open about at least. Yeah. Hey, having a really good punter. Jordan Stout was really good. They, that that will that will come to be something that people uh, I, I think this. I mean, depending on what happens, but like you'll notice, you, you know, you you don't notice it when it's really, really good. Because it's just so good all the time that there are really very few snafus away from that standard. And look, like either way, you're, you're, you've got a guy in Barney Moore who uh, came to Penn State for this reason and seems to very much be a, a good punter. Right? Yeah. Like all indications are that he's a good punter. Is he? Is he quite to the level of Jordan Stout? I don't. I don't know that anybody's saying that right now, um, but you know, certainly, uh, for his sake, you, you, you hope for the best for him, but then also Alex Paquetta, like he's supposed to be really good too. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so, uh, but either way, n- no matter who you're dealing with there, it's a guy who hasn't been in that position before. Right. Who, ha- who, who doesn't have the reps in front of a hundred thousand people that Jordan Stout had, because that, that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah, that, that is one of the first things that they always bring up is uh, doing it 
in practice, doing it in Haluba Hall, doing it out on the last practice fields is radically different from the, like because it's because it's a in in fact Stacy Collins called it this the other day when talking about kick return. It's a one shot rep. Yep. Right. Like yeah, you you get four chances at a punt during a game. <laughs> like it it is it is critical that those are on point. So let's let's count them up. Um, and we need to come to a consensus here, and then we'll decide how much better this makes Penn State to have uh, dominate the all Big Ten freshman team. So we're going to say the locks that you and I are considering here to be denied to Sutton and Nick Singleton. Um, sure. The next player that we discuss here, is it a quarterback? Are we putting a quarterback in that discussion of one of the four to five freshmen on the all Big Ten team? I want to say no. You know, not just from hypothetical, but also from reality. Like in both situations, true freshman is so much different than redshirt freshman. Are you, do you agree there? We're not going to be considering that position. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, I lost you. I lost you there. What what was the question one more time? We're trying to build a consensus of who the four we're gonna limit it to four freshmen would yeah. be that give us an all big ten uh season. And then we're going to determine how much better that makes Penn State to answer the final part of the question. So we've yeah. got Deny Dennis Sutton, Nick Singleton. Are we considering in our hypothetical scenario a quarterback here? for for hypothetical sake, sure. Because okay. you I, well, look, like, again, we're dealing with fantasy here, but we we have a good idea of what Sean Clifford brings to the table, right? right. Which is is uh, at times good, sometimes not so good, but rarely all Big Ten. Right. I, I mean, I think, is that is that fair? Like, yeah. is that a fair way to, to, to contextualize him? Because I don't think that's, that's too hard on him. It's just saying, look, he's he's a guy who has not played to the level where he is going to, you know, consistently bring home, uh, you know, offensive player of the week awards. And right. he's he's won some. Like there's right. no there's no question he's had some gaudy numbers. But um, you, you know, to to get that out of a full season, if you could get that out of a full season from your quarterback position. Yeah, I think that that would help Penn State football. Okay, so then we're going to throw in a quarterback, and I'm just going to say quarterback because there's two freshman quarterbacks and then the punter. Is that enough to change our opinion of 7-5, and 8-4, and four, somewhere in there, towards a 10-win season? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the point, so. the point is not any of the other players. It's not about Nick Singleton. It's not about Deny Dennis Sutton as much as it is the quarterback. That changes the dynamic to me. Uh, it like dramatically maybe but don't you think uh, i just don't know I, how you I, I don't know how you add up the impact of three non-quarterbacks or four non-quarterbacks to change the topography of a team 
because the quarterback is so dominant in their importance and in their production that if you're saying there's an all Big Ten freshman quarterback who was good enough to beat out Sean Clifford and to beat the starter from either day one or from week five on, um, there's so many things going on with the team that I just I, I, I don't see. I guess I'm talking in two different ways here, uh, you know, as far well, as look, like it would be so impactful that it would change everything about the season and what you expect. Don't you think, don't you think based on, and, and th- this is a natural uh, kind of transitive property of college football that you're looking at what happened last season for a team. You, you understand that there are losses, uh, people that leave the program, people that come into the program, but it, it's, it's not, a wholesale change. It, it rarely is a complete turnover. Okay. If I'm looking at last year's Penn state team, I saw a team that lost a bunch of games by five points mm-hmm. by, by four points. Okay. By what, you know, whatever, even, even, uh, Ohio state was what nine points. So if that's the case and you add a Nick Singleton to the mix and there's a touchdown in there, right? Like, if Nick Singleton represents seven points, if Deny Dennis Sutton r- represents four points uh, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, a strip sack, right? Yeah. Like game-changing plays that Penn State couldn't make last season, right? Like Penn State, Penn State was not but- bad for most of the season. They just weren't, they didn't have those flash plays. Yeah. And so if if you can bring those to the table and if those can happen and if those are the players who bring it to the table, then then sure, I do think it could it could mean the difference of a win or two over the course of the year. Well, we uh, have spent a good bit of time on this question. We've got about 15 more to get to. Uh, Poncho570, yes, like it or not, NIL is here to stay. Schools typically in the southern schools with big NIL deals are getting the best players more often than not. How much do you think that is going to overinflate an insistent coach's value, not only when it comes to player development, but also when they're looking to step up the ladder as either a coordinator or a head coach? Do you think that just having access to the best possible materials, I think is what Poncho was saying, is going to make you a better coach than you actually are. Is that something you should be aware of? Yeah, but that was already the case. That was already, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of. Like this, this dynamic already exists. And here's the other thing is that for the most part, unless you're dealing with a school that is wantonly poor in management. And we know the ones that have constant turnover in their staff from the head coach down. The best teams are the best talent evaluators. And that doesn't mean just on the field. So you're not going to be getting guys going to Alabama to coach or to Georgia to coach that are tomato cans that are just there throwing the football (laughs) out there and letting first round picks dominate other people. They're actually good at their job too, because there's pressure on everybody. So don't go to a program that doesn't have an established winning culture to find your assistance, I guess. I, I I just, I tend to think that there are a lot of very good assistant coaches. I, I don't think that it's players. That, first of all, there's a lot of very good players. Elite yeah. players are rare. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of very good assistant coaches, but assistant coaches and head coaches, uh, everything, everyone is made better by the more, the, the, the most good talent 
great talent that you have around you, whatever it is, yeah, right? Like in any capacity in a football program, yeah. it's going to lift others. And so I, I think that's definitely the case. It's just like there, I, I don't see a situation where somebody who doesn't pull their weight on an assistant coaching staff who doesn't recruit well, yeah. doesn't do most things, but happens to land a stud, whatever, right? A stud player at their yeah. position automatically just like rockets up the, the, the hiring list yeah. of other coaches. Like I, it, I don't, it I don't can. So it can happen again, if you don't have a good head coach or you don't have a good organization. Um, I, I think the part of this too, is we tend to over romanticize taking a two star and making him a three star. Of like, look at all the talent you got out of this guy, and 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 it's just, you might be, and going back to the car analogy, you might be a great mechanic on, on really basic cars, like just you know economy cars, but is that to say value is getting every single performance boost percentage? Maybe it's one percent out of the best possible material. So I'm not saying that they're entirely separate. You're going to have coaches that could coach anybody. You're going to have coaches that could that can get the most out of some players. I just don't know that, and Iowa keeps coming to mind when I talk about this, of like consistently good at certain basic discipline things and basic principles and getting guys to be big and strong. And then what does it get you? Are you, are you capable of then taking all of that success and translating it into excellence when it comes to recruiting and development of already great players. And we romanticize the idea of the three-star becoming a four-star, the, the one-star, the walk-on becoming a good player. And yep. I, I think that you need to kind of also know that the, the very elite are also very elite for a reason. Well said. You, you, you can have... Uh a garage full of four Tauruses that will finish the race. Yep. And if your Ferrari breaks down, then yes, you will lose to the Taurus. That That is what will happen. But if all things are equal and the Ferrari doesn't break down, Ferrari's going to win the race. But there is the old parable about the tortoise, Taurus and the hair. Uh, that was a terrible the joke. The Taurus? The Taurus yeah, and the hair. Keep going. I did not land the joke, but it was well-conceived. Psychim asks, on the roster printed in this month's edition of the BWI Magazine, which, Nate, give us a promo for the BWI Magazine. Uh, I just published a story about Nick Singleton that I wrote that I thought uh, came out really, really well. Buy it. Buy yep. the magazine. It, it, you can you can buy. There, are, there is a specific link for the magazine at bluewhiteonline.com. Excellent. It's a great investment. You it can have really it in is. your hands. It, and I, I like I like nice things, and the magazine feels very nice. Uh, sure. Okay, let's get to this. So this month's edition of the BWI Magazine, Devon Townley Jr., 6'6", six six, 268 pounds. Phil Gross is very high on him, founder of Blue White Illustrated. Rodney McGraw, 6'5", 271, considered. Um, they had large weight gains on the roster. Any reports on these guys? Do they show the athleticism and quickness down the road to be effective pass rushers? Then he goes into, and we'll get to this here in a second with some of the defensive tackles. Any update on McGraw or Devon Townley Jr.? No. Yeah. 
same here. I have not, so, you know, this is the situation. We've been in Haluba Hall most of the time this spring. I have not seen the defensive line enough to know if Devon Townley Jr., Jr. or Rodney McGraw are even practicing. Like, and, you know, like, just to give context to it, it has been a very limited uh, spring, for me anyway. I, I, tend, I tend to think, and I, I think this is probably the best way to put it, that between James Franklin, the assistants, right, the, the people who speak to the media, um, there, there, there's two, there's two trains of thought, right? One is they will answer questions about whoever they're asked about, okay? So that that's universally true, right? If you if you ask them directly a question, so no one has asked, to my knowledge, a question specifically this spring about Devon Townley Jr. Or McGraw. Yep. So, so, so that exists, right? Like that's yep. that is a possible hole. However, the the other truth is when given open ended opportunities to bring up players who are doing well. Yep. Uh, if they were doing well, um, it, to to the point where you know it's this standout breakout, yeah, you know, light out situation, that they, they would be brought up. Yep. They, that like that opportunity would be taken advantage of because you see it all over the roster at other places. Yep. Right. And, and like and players too. When we ask about this, neither neither name has come up, and you wouldn't expect a player to be as polished and maybe you could say calculated as a coach that is you know done this for a long time and knows what to say and what not to say. They're briefed and they're given like, hey. Don't mention X, Y, or Z, but, you know, just when you start talking, you mention guys, and neither of these guys have come up. What about Cole Brevard? Because that's the next guy. Can he handle being a nose tackle at 332? Uh, and has there been any sort of, like, mention of him? He's been one that's, I think, interesting, but, I again, I put him in the same bucket as the first two. No. Just no. I no, I, I, I mean, has, has there been mentioned? Has there been any anything on Cole Brevard this spring? No, no. The answer is no. Um, so, it, and look, like this is this is. I want to I want to bring this up because I think it's important. Uh, with Penn State not talking directly about injuries, you just don't know. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Like there, there's there is the possibility that these guys are working through some stuff. Some of these guys, at least, right. And then there's yeah. another possibility that maybe they just haven't they just haven't um, progressed at the rate that you know some fans might hope for. Yeah. Um, because I thought but it going back to the original question from Psychim is like. I thought in the max testing day and from what I saw of him that Devon Townley Jr. looked like he had done a great job this offseason at taking a step forward physically. And that was the last time we heard anything or saw anything of him. And that's why I say, like, I haven't even seen him, but that does not mean he's not there. That just means that my attention is very focused, but it is an open-ended question of, is he there? I don't know. Yeah, I, I have not gotten that sense yet it, it does not yeah. mean that it's not a possibility right like that i guess we'll find out always on saturday happen. well i mean you'll find out on saturday and you'll you'll really find out and this is always the important thing to bring up like it's april yeah <laughs> you know like things can change people come on over the summer right people fade over the summer like that that, that is something that happens and we'll be keeping an eye on it but right now yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not, um, it's not front and center on the radar for sure. Bob asks the BWI 
surprise player of the game who we will Bob never see. E. Bob E. Oh. Come on now. Sorry. Bob. Well, it's all lowercase. There is no there's no indication of anything here. Anyway, the BW surprise player of the game who we will never see again is you go first. I, I need to think about this. I need to look. Yeah, well, I'm currently looking right now. Uh, the first name that comes up here is Mason Stahl, but I think that's unfair to Mason Stahl. Um, well, and I don't like I don't like the phrasing because I don't want it to sound. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it, how about here? Here we go. I'm just gonna answer this for you, Nate, and I'm gonna take this bullet for the team. We're going with Jace Tuddy because I did not know until looking right now that Jace Tuddy was on the Penn State football roster. So Jace Tuddy is from Stroudsburg. Good for him. He is 5'11", 188 pounds, and I'm talking about Jace Tuddy as much as possible to give him as much pub as possible before I then say something mean of like I didn't know he was on the team and he may be the guy for Bob E. We're going to move on. Dominic DeLuca, linebacker. There you go. There's another good one. Navy Blue asks, we obviously want to see multiple players at defensive end step up and provide an improved, consistent pass rush. Are we underestimating what Penn State might be able to get from the interior group? Izzard, Ellies, Mulba, Vandenberg, and other guys. Uh, and then, if we get PJ back, he goes on to say, the position could look like this, a strength. Like 1978 when Larry Kubin put up 15 sacks at defensive end, but Matt Millen and Bruce Clark were the unblockable duo at defensive tackle that made his job a lot easier. Your response to Navy Blue. Um, uh, T. Frank, correct me if I'm wrong. P.J. Mustafer was playing very well when he very got well. last year. Very well. So... I would say, and I don't know if it's wishful thinking. I don't know, you know, look like James Franklin said on Wednesday night that he thought, and some of the, you never know, right? I mean, it's the, yeah. it's the human body. It's a total mystery. Yep. Uh, whether or not he's like ahead of schedule, quote unquote. Yep. Um, if he is and he can get back to something approximating and or the same and or better than the way that he was playing last season. That's a force. That is a game changer yep. for Penn State on the interior of the line. Everything from there is, I'm not saying gravy necessarily, yeah. but it, it puts you in a very, very strong spot. I, I think Hakeem Beeman, if he's not being talked about, he should be talked about. Yeah. Like if he's, if he can work through all the stuff that kept him off the field last year, but can make him a factor this year, uh, he's going to play. He was going to start last year. So the two things here. Uh, the first is that um, PJ Mustafer, I don't want to phrase this, bigger athletes, I think, have a harder time coming back and playing at the same level they were previously than smaller athletes because of the weight and the force that they generate on their own bones. Um, so, you know, a knee injury for PJ Mustafer who needs to do exercise to keep his weight under control. And I think he's been doing a good job of that. I, I haven't seen him get massive or anything, but he's a big dude. So how do you know what the composition of that weight is? James Franklin yeah. said that he was, he was starting to run again. He's got a brace that he likes, but what is the power and what is the ability to do that quickly with force in multiple directions? What's the belief in that? Uh, players that I've seen come back at that position, it takes them 
more than a year to be effective. And that, to me, is the biggest thing, is he can play, sure. And if they want him on target for the first week of the season, for him to be suited up, but is that P.J. Mustafer? And I'm going to say the same thing that I said about Noah Kane, whose game was based on lower body strength. If you have a lower body injury and you are not lifting, you will not have lower body strength. You just, like, it's physically impossible. So he is going to be the smart player, the veteran that's in the right position that can absorb some double teams. But is he is he beating double teams? I just do not think that is a reasonable thing for him, even a year on, 18 months, and then we're into the end of the season. So yep. I'm not expecting anything from P.J. Mustafer about what he was last season. Now, can he be a contributor and can be, he be a helpful presence? Yes, but not 100%. That happens the year after or, you know, 20 months after. That, to me, is is in my brain how I'm looking at this. And if he's ahead of schedule and he proves me wrong, I think that's great. But then you're not disappointed in P.J. Mustfer and you're not angry at why he's bad because he has not been able to lift heavyweights with his legs so when heavyweights are pushed on him and force is enacted, he does not have the training and the 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 pushback to use it just it it makes too much sense and 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 i'm the guy who loves the story so my brain works as if there's anybody who can defy science and all reason it might be pj mustafer i would love but i don't be, i for his sake i, I would your, love to be wrong exactly and i i mean i share the sentiment that you don't you don't want him to be in a position where uh, there's there's more pressure on him, to, like an expectation for him to be able yeah. to to duplicate that. So, no, uh, I think that's fair. The other half of this is that we're talking about uh, pressure. We're talking about pass rush, and PJ has never been a pass rusher. So, to the point of pass rush, it is easier to get pressure from the edge because it is harder to double team edge players. That's why it is the premier, it is the most important position. Because Zane Durant can be unblockable, and he can still be blocked by two guys. Now, is he taking up a double team? Yes. That is giving your defensive ends one-on-ones with multiple ways to win, or if you then keep more guys in to block, less players out in the route, less time for the quarterback to scan and find players, etc., etc. There's always a domino effect in football. But defensive tackle pressure is just inconsistent. And when you find an Aaron Donald, because everyone wants to compare every defensive tackle now to Aaron Donald, think more Fletcher Cox. Think more Kevin Givens. Those guys can be blocked, but they set everyone else up for success. So it, it it's very hard, even if you've got depth, to find consistent, dominant force on the interior, which, by the way, is why you move big physical defensive ends to three technique on obvious pass rushing situations. They're just better set up to win in those situations. It, it, it's a hard thing to duplicate edge pressure from the interior. Um, here's our favorite question, Nate. If Clifford is not effective early on, how long does it take Franklin to pull the trigger, go with one of the younger QBs, and build for the future? This is from Foxnet, one of our... our our uh, Blue White Illustrated members. Uh, I don't, I don't like the phrasing because I don't think. I mean that the part where it says "build for the future" is just like a non-starter, right? It, it doesn't. That James Franklin has given up on twenty twenty two. 
He has he's decided happen. that it's over and we're going to pack nope. it in for all of these seniors that have dedicated their time. We're, we're just not going to worry about this year. What quarterback gives you the best opportunity to win? That is the one who will play. Not win 12 months from now, not win 36 months from now. Who gives you the best chance to win that day? That's yeah. it. That's the equation. Jeff Laws asks, special teams is an important aspect for any team. What kicker combination uh, what kicker or combination of kickers do you expect to be on the field in the fall? This is something you've been thinking about and talking about a little bit more recently because of the yeah. massive blind spots in Blue White Illustrated's video coverage of special teams. <laughs> so I think that you know, it's going to be, there's going to be some competition at hand yeah. is just the bottom line is, you know, I think Sahidek, uh, will challenge Jake Pinnegar and, you know, Jake Pinnegar brings experience. He brings, um, which should not be understated, right? Like that experience is valuable and he he's been through it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Sahidek, I think they liked him last year. I think they still like him. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be a data crunch as to who is the guy who stands out there. Uh, and then at punter, uh, that, you know, Barney Moore, Gabriel, uh, Nuosu and the new kid, right. Alex yep. Paqueta coming in this summer, I think, right. Like all three of those, my, my, here's, here's how I would handicap it. I think Amor is the leader currently, and uh, I think Nwosu could be a kickoff specialist. I think he might be a guy who can handle that. Yeah, and because he's got a he's got a big leg, um, and then Baketa is like if if Baketa comes in and is as good as advertised, he's number one Coles kicker in the country this year. Like if he if he's that good, then maybe you've set yourself up where you've got a, a bonus right situation to enjoy where your really good option, Barney Moore, is, is it just comes up a little bit short of you know this otherworldly option at right. Hunter. But I, my money right now would be on a Moore to be able to to hold that job down. We're gonna switch over to Twitter for our last couple of questions here. Uh, and we are now in the presence of royalty because Nittany Queen Twitter handle Heather Ashley asks, this isn't about the blue-white game, but with the NFL draft looming, how many times, how often are former JUCO players like Jaquan Brisker selected in the first or second round? And might that be a testament to the JUCO gems we want? Um, I I'm not sure about the second part of the question, but I, I think it's not... I I wouldn't say it's common, as in... 50% of the players in the in the first or second round are JUCO players, but it is not at all an oddity. You wouldn't bat an eyelash at seeing a JUCO player being drafted in the first or second round because there's a lot of reasons you go to JUCO. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of... I mean, you could take quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers started out at a JUCO college before he got picked up by, uh, by Cal. And Josh Allen, same thing. Uh, now, those guys, a little bit of a different story in terms of... Josh Allen grew five inches or four inches in college. Uh, but there are just, in general, guys that go to JUCO routes for different reasons. But traditionally, most of them are four- and five-star athletes. On3 has a tracker, by the way, where you can look at the number of four- and five... The, the 
the first round draft picks in the NFL draft and what they were in recruiting. And the majority are four and five star athletes. So it's not odd, but it is also not uncommon, if that makes sense. Well, and, and I mean, Brisker, Brisker was, I believe, a four star and just didn't have he didn't academically. He wasn't in yeah the right shape to be able to, you know, so like I, I think I think that that is it's just it's a it's a wild card. I mean, people people have. I mean, Jaquan's backstory for him to be where he is, is like tremendous. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did a story with him last year on him, uh, the things that he has overcome, the situations that he's been through, um, you, you know, his, his brother was, was murdered. Like, you know, it's just, a, it's just a lot. And like the, those stories are everywhere. Right. And you just, you can't predict who they, who they are or when they'll come, but you know, people, people have different paths to get to where they're going, but he, he has taken a path that, you know, allows him to be in this situation, um, you know, that he is right now. Yeah. I think well said, uh, let's move on to Ben on Twitter. The spring game is also, I love this one. The spring game is the unofficial return of tailgating and grilling. What kind of tailgaters would T Frank and Nate be low key with fam hyped up with students listening to Dua Lipa? Uh, Nate, <laughs> I love this question because I think it, it yeah. says a lot about you and I. So I'm going to, do you want to go first? Uh, no, you go, you go first. Okay. What, what right. do you got? So I have been accused multiple times of my wife fairly being bougie. So mm. that's that's accurate. Um, I don't like doing, and this is it. How do I how do I phrase this? I, I'm not against because I grew up in the country farming, doing crap like that. So I'm not against any one thing. I've grown up in multiple yeah. ways. I just. And fixated, I have EST syndrome. What is the biggest, best, fast, smartest, uh, best way to do something? So I want there's there's this there's this tailgate I've seen for years. It is a it is a tent in the commuter parking lot with three televisions set up inside. Basically, you're setting up a a living room in the parking lot. So I'm not saying I'm stodgy or I'm uh, against people coming over and having a, a rager because I think that's also important, but sure. I want to do it the right way. So we're having like a gas grill, TVs, a lounge. It We're doing it up right. It's going to be really nice. Wow. That, yeah, that's that would be my ideal I, I tailgate. And here and here's where I'm coming from, which is I'm the type of tailgater that likes going to other people's tailgates. And so <laughs> as long as, as long as I'm not the person who has to set it up and get it together, organize it, put everything right. Like if I can walk to your tailgate and I, I don't, you'll never find it. You will never find it. Like. <laughs> I'm not invited. No, this is my point. So this is, this is the other thing is like when I have tried to tailgate with people, they're like, Hey, I'll let you know where we are, where we're tailgating. Call me on game yeah. day. And it's like, there is no, there's no way I'm going to find you. So like that. It, yeah. You gotta have, you gotta have some reliable, consistent parking, yeah. you know, right? You need the numbered space parkers. That's exactly. A, an essential element there. So like going to other people's tailgates is great unless you can't ever find them, which is the most times the reality. 
people ask me to tailgate. I, I just, it never happens. I, I've got, I need to be at the stadium. Yep. And I can't do the one thing that makes tailgating so fun. Right. So like, why would I, why would I subject myself to that? If I can't be boozed up before a game, what's the point? Yeah. So Real no, talk. again, no half measures. We're not doing things where we're going and chatting and I'm having a hot dog. Like I'm tailgating or I'm working and I have work anxiety. So I just, I don't tailgate. Uh, Beaverman 72 says the Wheatley leads the team in takeaways uh, and also seems willing to stop the run. From a fan's perspective, it would seem as though he should be one of the starting safeties given the praise he's received. Do you expect him to start? Which safety position fits him best? Uh, I want you to address the the first part of the question. I'll get to the second part about what safety position fits him best and do you expect him to start? Um, is there... Is there... I, just, well, I guess, I, what, what do you think about this particular thought train? Well, what about Jalen Reed? Right. Like, what happened to him? <laughs> uh, when you say one of the starting safeties, okay, if we're going to expand the starting holes, right, roster spots to fill to say that there's four starting safeties, then sure, I'm fine with that. He should yep. be a starting safety. Yep. But you know that Tig Brown's going to be on the field. He's yep. got to be on the field. Yep. And so who are you taking off the field? Is it Keaton Ellis? Is it Jalen Reed? Uh, I, I don't know. And so that like I see Wheatley as a nice story this spring who is probably facing a situation where he'll need to wait a year before he becomes like the top the rep guy. getter. Yeah. Right? Yep. You know, so that's I just I think that that, that dynamic kind of plays itself out every spring. Where even last year, right? Like, uh, Kalen King had a really nice spring and yep. was a breakout, and the yep. ball loved him, and all you know, all of those things, which are true. And he was the third or fourth highest rep getter among the corners, right? Because yep. like you're not taking Tariq Castro Fields, and Joey Porter Jr. off the field for Kalen King, no matter how much he's flashed. Yep. Uh, it's just, that's, that's kind of the reality on the backside of these stories. I, I just, I'm still, and I'm, I'm not getting off the cell. I'm still a little bummed that he's not a corner because I love six, two long corners with long arms and, and kind of that condor like press ability, but at safety, and having the confidence of playing in man coverage, this is what James Franklin always says, the confidence of playing in man coverage at safety is valuable. And if you look at every other safety that has, or almost every other safety that's transitioned over time, they have uh, gone from corner to field safety. And then like this year, I believe Keaton Ellis is competing for that boundary safety, the strong safety position. So just based on logic, he would be the field safety this year, which by the way, as you pointed out, is where Tig Brown sets up shop. So no, I would not expect Zaki Wheatley to be the starter. Can he contribute and be an impact player still? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. And I think he fits at both positions. So I think he can play either with his frame, but 6'2", 191, a little bit more of a free safety than a strong safety, but he can get up to 200 pounds. He can be the complete package. I think he can play either position. It's just the physical maturity and just the way they've done this is they don't you don't skip the process unless you are already that size. So again, I mentioned KJ Winston. He can come in and I think he can play 
that strong safety position. That's his natural position because he's already that big as a freshman. Um, coming from corner, I think you start at the field, then you work to the boundary if you have the ability. Even even uh, early in his career, I believe I have this correct, that in 2019, Jaquan Brisker played the field. He did not play the boundary until his final season. Yeah, they all they all. I'm I am at this point of the mindset that we can somewhat get rid of the the name designations, right? Because they they those safeties are kind of cross trained to do yeah. both. Yeah. Like they they're all gonna see snaps, and you see it in the in the snap counts after the fact. They 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 all kind of do both things. So you need I'm to be not, able to I, do I don't both. Think, yeah, correct. I don't think well, it's a hard and fast situation I, yeah and and not to undo everything we just said but that is also in brent Pry's defense i've seen a little bit more rigidity in the past from manny diaz of here's our free here's our strong we're playing in this particular system um but i've also seen him play cover two so you know it, it's going to be determined a lot in the fall and we'll learn a lot of that together by design they don't want me to know so i can tell you and it's really frustrating so John Walker, Papa John 630, asks how many positions uh, have been affected by the O-line player. I'm sorry. How many positions has the lack of O-line affected player development? Is there not enough to run a scout team? It appears that all positions can be affected one way or another, but which has felt the largest impact? James Franklin talked about the quarterback position. thought that was very interesting of not having a third and fourth offensive line has limited the, rep, the live reps the third and fourth quarterback have gotten until they change some things up. So what did he say yesterday about that? Yeah, he's, he's, well, first of all, he said that neither of the true freshman quarterbacks necessarily had huge expectations. I think that he said that they had low expectations in terms of how many reps they would actually get this spring. And he said that both told him that they felt like they had exceeded that, right? That they had got, they had been able to get more reps. However, uh, and you're you're gonna have to clarify this for me because I I always mess it up. Uh, there's thud reps and skelly reps. He yeah. said that they hadn't gotten enough team reps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so they they hadn't those quarterbacks uh, behind Christian or excuse me uh, behind Sean Clifford had not been able to take enough reps with. The offensive line and so really what he said was they shut Clifford down for each of the past two practices where Clifford didn't participate in the team reps because they, they wanted to get those other quarterbacks some opportunities there um I I think is that a, a, an appropriate way to to phrase that yeah yeah um so that's that's kind of the idea of a progression in intensity where skeleton reps are and and I don't know the exact definition but it's like seven on seven you know, a little bit more than seven on seven where you're a little more intense, you're going a little bit harder. And it's just the skeleton of it. Literally, it's stripped down football. And then thud is everyone's going 80%. You you wrap up, but you don't go to the ground. And then full team reps, you know, live contact is, is full out football. That's a scrimmage. And yep. when you get to that progression with Penn State not wanting to expose people to extended amounts of hitting, and you really can't at times, there wasn't a third or fourth offensive line to give Caden Wallace and Juice Scruggs and Ola Fashanu a break, so they weren't getting as many of those reps, 
Hence, Clifford not participating, getting the first team reps, and everyone intermingling, taking him out of the equation and giving those reps to the young guys. And that's kind of what he was talking about of, sure, you can go with as many DBs and tight ends and wide receivers, but when, when it's real and it's thud and you've got the offensive line hitting somebody and the running backs putting a shoulder into somebody, they needed to eliminate the quarterback and that log jam to get more reps for the other guys. I, I would... I, I genuinely have no actual insight here, but I'd be very surprised if we see more than a series or two for Sean Clifford on yeah. Saturday. Uh, we Are Recruiting asks, will we know the starting linebackers after the blue-white game? No. No, we will not. Do you disagree? No, I think that's pretty fair. I, You know, they, they I think and have said, Previously, I, I my sense this spring is that Tyler Elston is currently somewhere between a step or a few steps ahead of Kobe King at yeah. that Mike linebacker position. I think that you can probably pencil in John Sutherland as a starter. I know that you can pen in Curtis Jacobs as a starter. Yeah. Uh, We're getting that engraved. Other, <laughs> yeah. Like may, maybe you use a... Um, you know, like a, a disappearing ink pen on the, the Elsden situation. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where yeah. The, you, you reserve the right to, to change. And I, and I, you know, I think that's what they want. They, they want that competition to go through the summer and they'll have the opportunity to do that. It's just a matter of, Hey, at this, right. At this stage in the yeah. game, uh, you know, it, it certainly looks to me as though Elsden is a little bit ahead um, yeah. in that. And he he provides, I think, uh, what we've talked about before of stability. Um, yep. He is a good run defender. I, I think that everyone has a sour taste in their mouth from the bowl game. But when you go back and review the film, if you're a linebacker and either a guy next to you or somebody in front of you is not fitting your gap their gap correctly, and you're yep. the Mike linebacker, it just always looks like it's your fault. But he was in his gap. I thought he did a good job playing through contact. It's just what else is he? How's he as a coverage defender? Is he consistently getting there against all types of linemen? Um, you know, any of those number of things like we talk about with Christian Veyu or Malik Mega or other guys we saw a limited sample size of when they're stressed in other positions and the overall athleticism, all those things, we just don't have the full picture. But I know he's a good, sound player. And it's just, you know, filling in the rest of the details. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both going to play, and we're going to have those answers by the end of next season. Maybe by the middle of next season. Yeah. Yeah, and by next fall, there will be more players that are entering the competition. So we'll find yeah. that out then as well. That does it today for the BWI Daily Edition. If you're listening on our podcast, so as always, thank you. Uh, you are not forgotten. I know I always mention the YouTube channel. Uh, we're staring down the barrel of the camera here, but you guys are the best. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow wrapping up things with the week, talking to Ryan Snyder about visitors this weekend in recruiting. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Thomas Reinkart. That's Nate Bauer. We'll talk to you later.